Welcome to Rising Stars, where Miriam Knight, publisher of New Consciousness Review, interviews exciting new voices in the world of progressive and transformational books, films, and ideas who offer intriguing perspectives on life, the universe, and everything in between. Join us as we celebrate the conscious awakening and explore many expressions of consciousness in action. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Miriam Knight, and we have three guests with us today, Dennis Lynn, Sheila Fabricant-Lynn, and Matthew Lynn. They work together as a team integrating physical, emotional, and spiritual wholeness. They have taught courses on processes for healing around the world. They have written 23 books, including two books for children and those who care for them. And those books have sold over a million copies in English and have been translated into more than 20 languages. Dennis and Sheila live in Colorado with their son, John, and Matt lives in a Jesuit community in Minnesota. Their latest book that we're going to discuss today is called The Gifts of Near-Death Experiences. You don't have to die to experience your true home. Welcome, Lynn Zoll. Well, thank you for having me. (laughs) Well, I'm delighted that we could get you all together in one virtual room. I was so delighted to read your book because it gave me a wonderful overview of the various experiences that people have had of around near-death experiences. And I was wondering, you know, what first drew you all to the study of NDEs? Well, this is Dennis here. <laughs> and uh, I think my story starts at, at birth, actually. Uh, we have a 19-year-old son, John. And before he was born, I did some birth regression work. And what I discovered was that uh, I had known I was a breech birth. And in the regression, I discovered I did not want to be born. And uh, part, part of me kept going back into the light from which I came. And... I later interviewed my parents about the whole thing, and what I learned was, I'd always, my mom always said I was born on Thanksgiving Day at 10 in the evening. Uh, My dad said that they told him that I almost died. And when I finally got my birth certificate, I realized I was born the next day at 2 a.m. So I I think I may have had a near-death experience at birth, and I think that that uh, set my whole life in a a certain line that we we can talk about, but Mm -hmm. I I think from birth. Hmm. More immediately, um, we uh, had always been interested in near-death experiences, and we refer to them um, here and there in in others of our books, but um, this would be about three years ago now. Um, we had a friend here. Uh, her name is Fran. She's re- remarkable. She's one of the most courageous people that we know. And she speaks up publicly about a subject that people literally get killed for speaking up about. 
And and uh, we asked her one day, Fran, where do you get your courage? And she said, it's from reading about near-death experiences. I've done it every day for 10 years as my morning meditation, and I'm not afraid to die. And she held up the book that she was reading at the time. It was Lessons from the Light by Kenneth Ring. Um, we knew of Ken's work, uh, but we had not read that particular book of his. And so we got it. And the point that stood out from, for us in Lessons from the Light is that Ken describes the near-death experience as what he calls a benign virus, meaning we can catch it and it's good for <laughs> us. And what he's saying is if you hang around near-death experiences, if you listen to the stories of people who have had them, if you read about them, there's a kind of an energy or a frequency and you catch it and it can have some of the same effect upon you as a listener or a reader as what the near-death experiencer has actually experienced. Now, that was pretty stunning to us, along with the fact that as we looked at the stages of near-death experiences that Ken lays out, they parallel healing processes that we have used in our work all over the world. Um, And we kept using them, and we use them everywhere because we saw that they work. They are universal. They transcend culture. Pretty simple things, and we can give you some examples. But it, it was as if something we had in some way intuited, or we were onto something that is universal, that anyone can, can kind of catch, by the way that the, the processes we had found that, that are healing, they parallel or they match the stages of near-death experiences. Mm-hmm. And so we said, if this thing is catchy, and we have these processes that match what happens to people in a near-death experience. Why don't we make that our next book and help people catch the benign virus? <laughs> Very good. Well, there's nothing more universal than death, is there? Correct. You're right. I'm curious. You all have really deep roots in, I guess you would call it classical theology. Mm-hmm. How has this study of near-death experiences impacted your own spirituality? Well, <clears throat> I, I go <laughs> way, way back to working with the Lakota people 50 years ago and finding that the the people who could really grow and get into, you call it classical spirituality, but meeting, meeting a God of, God of love, were not people who had been hurt less, but people who with that love could start to forgive. And that's, that's what sent me off. To, how do you begin to do this? If that, if that's one of the essentials of the Christian message, any, any spirituality really, to let go of pain and to find love. And to create a world where there's love, where, there's, where you have peace and justice. How do you start to do that? And then we, we'd go off to Northern Ireland and places like that and learn from people that were doing it. And as Sheila was saying, it's, it's the processes that are in the near-death experience. So whenever we got into experience, it brought us back into processes. And those processes brought us back into what happens in the near-death experience. But it would happen in just a minute or two rather than a whole weekend workshop or whatever we were giving. Mm-hmm. So is it fair to say that you all had quite a, 
uh, a sense of recognition, almost an aha experience when you started reading about NDEs? Well, there had been things that... Um, Dennis, you have to speak up a bit, yeah, please. this is Dennis. So, so here's what happens when, when something really moves us in our life. We start to write a book about it. Like, <laughs> book was, Not all um, people do, you know. <laughs> we, we don't have an unpublished thought. <laughs> Our first book was was Healing of Memories because it, it had really helped me to ground myself, and um, so so we wrote about it. Then you get invitations, you know, to give workshops in different places, and so you use that process. and And I think what both Matt and Sheila are trying to say is these processes that really worked in our lives, and so we'd write another book about that or another one. And then we saw how they worked in, in other countries. They were universal. So it in answer to your question, it was like an aha moment. It's like, oh, these things that we have been doing for many, many years in many, many countries seem to be capsulized in the experience of a, of a near-death experience. Mm-hmm. So it was like an aha moment. And, and it's... Again, I really want to emphasize it. It's all across the world. It happens to Muslims and to Hindus, and you know, we we have worked with with people in all different cultures, and it is so universal. And it really, to me, it it is so comforting in this time where, you know, we can we can focus in in the politics or something on hate of somebody in Iran or Iraq, and then, then you read their near-death experience and, and they're right back to where we are, you know, the Muslims. The, it, it's just so universal and it, it's so wonderful and comforting. I seem to be reading I, a lot about near-death experiences. Do you think they're happening more or people are uh, empowered to write about them more? How, how often do you think they occur? The statistics are... Uh, Four to fifteen percent of people in the world have these experiences. Um, I'm not sure they are happening more, but what is different um, is that, well, they may be happening more in light of what I'm about to say. That modern resuscitation techniques are much more improved, mm-hmm. so people who might not have come back now do. So I suppose in that sense, they may be happening more. But the other part of that is um, physicians, cardiologists, people who work in emergency rooms and, and are bringing people back, they are hearing these stories more and the stories have become credible. So where maybe 20 years ago, they'd be sending people to the psych ward. Now they're listening. Mm-hmm. And then all of this literature that's coming out about it, including... Um, people who have studied them very carefully. There are really prominent researchers. One of them is Ken Ring. Another would be Pim Van Lummel, Jeffrey Long. Over these years, near-death experiences have been studied with very careful research protocols. So the whole thing has become far more credible in the scientific world. Um, I suppose they may be happening more, but they're also being listened to and taken seriously far Mm -hmm. more. Right. The three of us are yeah. really introverts, and it's been a surprise to us. We 
We can go to a town picnic or to a school gathering and somebody will say, well, what are you doing? And we might mention we're writing something on near-death experiences. And almost, almost to a person, they, that person will know someone who had a near-death experience or they themselves have had a near-death experience. Oh. We've moved from being introverts to extroverts. Very good. Well, listen, that's our break music. We're going to take a quick break. We're speaking with Sheila Denny and Matt Lynn. Stay with us. Uh, Guys, what is your website? Uh, www.lynnministries, all one word, dot org. Lynn, L-I-N-N, ministries.org. Very good. Correct. Okay. Now, I would like you to go over the elements of a near-death experience, because you were saying that your, your books, your, your focus of the moment seem to be paralleling them. Well, I, I could do that. Um. Maybe we just go over a few at a time and then discuss them. Okay. All right. I I can just give you the sequence of them. First thing that seems to happen is the person has a sense of leaving their body and their pain behind. So they're in this place of, of peace and often of light and love. And then they sometimes go through a transition. It might be a tunnel. It might be something else where there's no transition. Often they, at the end of the tunnel or whatever they're going toward, there's a light. As they reach the light, they often meet people, deceased people mostly, who have been there loving them all along. And often there's a person that takes them on the journey through this place where there's nature that that is loving them from all the trees and lakes everything that's there it's it's an environment of love and as they go further they can meet a being of light that is radiating this love loving them unconditionally and if they go further into it sometimes there's a life review where they experience being in the shoes of everybody that they've interacted with and not just looking at it on television, but experiencing what it's like in the shoes of that other person, what it's like in their own shoes. And then there's the often steps of union where you become one with this love, one with this light. And then if you have a near-death experience, you get to be sent back. And they're sent back often with a sense of what it is that they're to do. Mm-hmm. so that they can experience this, bringing this light more into the world. And exp- finding that this experience wasn't just something to be lived on the other side, but how is it to be lived here? And that's that's our interest. I think one of the most um, uh, common reports is this feeling of overwhelming love that they really don't want to leave. Um, but it's it's a sense of recognition of being home that I find so... Um, so wonderfully fascinating. Um, you you talk about the he- healing that often accompanies a near death experience. How do you understand that effect? Well, I think you probably pinpointed it. 
I think any time you feel loved, you experience healing at some level because you you remember who you are. Um, I I think one of the most fascinating things to me in the near death experience is that uh, when people have a near death experience, they will experience themselves, for instance, going around uh, mountains. There will be trees, rivers, and here's the thing. They recognize that they were here before. You know, it, it's familiar to them. They recognize that they were loved, that they are loved, and that they always will be loved. And I think any time that we come in contact with with love, we really experience healing. And, and that's been the basis, the core of our work, is how do you help people and ourselves included, to experience love, whether it's coming into memories of hurt or whatever. That, that's been a core of our work, love with the deceased mm-hmm. who have passed on. Do you think that that's the foundation of um, hands-on healing and, and other forms of healing? Um, I, well, let me... I want to emphasize what Denny just said, and then maybe we can uh, um, connect that with your question, earlier he mentioned that if we get into a conversation with anyone, really almost anyone about this, there's a kind of a fascination. Um, And I think it's because it triggers a memory. Near-death experiences trigger a memory that I believe is deep within all of us of where we come from. Mm -hmm. And so a near-death experience is like going home. And we come from a place of infinite love. At some level, all of us know that. And we know at some level who we are before we were hurt, before we were socially conditioned, before any of the things that that kind of cramp and twist and distort our identity. Healing is recovering that. It's remembering, as Denny said, remembering who we are. And we can remember that at many levels. Um, we could say, I think, that, that any form of sickness, including physical sickness, is uh, it, it's forgetting. Our cells forget how they're supposed to function. Our organs forget. Our psyche forgets. And when we're flooded with love, we remember. Because that's, that, that is our nature. That is our essence. That is who we are. We are infinite love. So, it, you know, if, if someone prays for us, lays hands on us, if we have a near-death experience, if we're in the presence of a, a highly empathic, loving person, it doesn't matter. Anything that reminds us that we are loved is healing. Mm, beautifully said. Beautifully said. Now, let's, let's go to the description of the life review, because um, it has such powerful implications. Uh, it sort of replaces karma, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you understand the other person and you understand your motivation. In that infinite love, you're accepted just, just the way you are. You know why you did the things and made the mistakes you did and how you were doing the best you could. So that whole part is healed. But you're not just in your own shoes. You're in the shoes of the other person, too. You know why they did this everything that they did, and and their hurt and their pain. And you can let go of that and know that they did the best that they could. 
that we keep running into people who, who whose lives have been changed by that life review. In in Mexico, I, I met a person who was a, was a hitman for the drug lords. He'd he'd go out and shoot whoever they were telling him to shoot. He had a near death experience, and in the near death experience, he was inside the shoes of the people that he had shot, feeling their agony as they died, but not just their agony. What they, all the people around them, the children that they left behind that were were hungry and and starving. After that death review, after that life review, he left the drug lords, and he he started caring for the, the working and giving whatever whatever he had to the orphans that he had left behind that didn't have the food. That's the kind of thing the life review does. It expands your heart. You know you're one with everything. It's it's the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, because really you are. You're, you're all of these people. We're all one when we get into that love. And whatever we do to another, it's it's happening to us too. So I think that's that's what fascinates me. And what I've learned from is, can I, with the Lakota people, can when they they could forgive if they could start to get in touch with the person that had hurt them and why that person had done it. There's a whole release that comes when we just get out of our skin and into the into a bigger love. Then we then we can let go of the pain because we know we can experience why that all happened. Hmm. Can I just add a a P.S. to that. Please. The life review also includes our interaction with uh, with nature. <laughs> you know, there's a, a person, Berkeley Mills, and in his life review, he experienced himself as an eight-year-old uh, with, with much um, pride killing a mother bird with a slingshot. Well, in the life review, he is inside of all the baby birds slowly starving to death. And what happens in a life review, we, get, we have the opportunity to be inside the air, the water, the plants, the animals. And we experience all the good things that we've done for them as, as well as uh, where we've hurt them. I remember um, Kimberly Clark Sharp in her life review. The thing that stood out the most was when she was eight or nine years old. And she bent down to see a flower growing out of a crack in the sidewalk. And it was that moment that in her whole life that she experienced her unconditional love. So uh, it, the life review includes everything, everything, it, all the people we've interacted with, but all the parts of, of the environment too. There, there was another uh, Tom Sawyer. He, in his life review, he experienced himself walking through Seneca Park in California. When he's eight or nine, he stopped to admire a tree. And in his life review, he was inside the tree, <laughs> receiving the love and admiration coming from himself as, as a child towards that tree. Everything, everything counts. And especially the small acts of kindness count. I think what you describe is probably the best, uh, not definition, but but uh, description of a sense of oneness, that we truly 
truly are at the most fundamental level connected to all that is. That's right. That you know, in in your life review, people say I can experience being an eagle. You can experience being the water running in the stream. Uh, here is one. They even this um, this is from a Muslim woman named Muhammad. She remembers bullying a child, and as that child walked away. She could feel all the trees feeling the child's terror and sorrow, the rocks feeling it. You know, so you're right. It's it's the oneness. You're inside of everything. Like I think we always are, but we we it's like we come to our consciousness in the life of you. This is this is who we truly are. My goodness. Now, you mentioned the healing power of these experiences, there were a couple of of really mind-boggling anecdotes in your book, uh, some of which I had heard before, like Anita Morjani and Evan Alexander, whose books became bestsellers. But you also talk about like a a lad who had cerebral palsy, and then after his near-death experience, um, he was able to open his hands. How common is that? Well, I, I don't know about taking this. our breath away. You go ahead, Matt. No, <laughs> ahead. I, I don't. First of all, I don't know how common the near-death experiences. I know more. They're having more of them, like um, von Lommel in, in in Belgium is saying one out of five that have cardiac arrest have a near-death experience. How many of them have physical healing? I think we're going to get more reports on that. I totally agree because I want to go back to uh, Sheila's description of the, the recognition or remembrance of one's perfection um, that is so healing. And, you know, I, I kind of apologize because I was taking us off on a tangent. Um, but I... Uh, I wanted you to talk about some of the other extraordinary stories that you tell in your book. Um, for example, the the one about the woman who had a near-death experience when she was giving birth and was told about her child being ill but recovering. Remember that one? Mm-hmm. Yes, it was, uh, uh, I forget which country it was. She was I think she was Swedish. And uh, she she was giving birth. She had a near-death experience in which she was told that the baby would be very ill, that the doctors would tell her that it was going to die, but she should not listen, um, that it would not die, that it would be, I think, in a coma, I think, for five months. months. I think it was five, five months. months. Yeah. And then yeah. it would wake up and it would be entirely normal. In fact, it, in w- fact it would be more intelligent. Yes, that's right. Yes. And and that's exactly what happened. The doctors came in, and normally, you know, you would be distraught. She, uh, a, a new mother, she was not, and she just she knew they were wrong. She she was very calm and peaceful. She waited. The baby woke up after five months, and in fact, was highly intelligent and 
developed by the time he was four. He was developed to the age of a child older than himself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, these experiences... The, that's our phone, and we're, we apologize. Yeah, that's something in our phone. Let's see if it stops. I'm very sorry for that. That's okay. It normally doesn't go on very long. Okay, let's hope that's the end of it. If it returned, we, we, we could... Yeah, let's, okay. let's, let's Don't worry. Go okay now. But I, I think the, the point is that these, these experiences transcend the kinds of limitations that we're used to thinking of, and they show us that really anything is possible. When, when, you, when love comes into a situation, it, 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 anything is possible. And, um, you know, we spoke earlier about emotional, the healing of hurts. One of the most dramatic aspects of our work has been when we've been in countries where there are long-standing conflicts between Protestants and Catholics in Northern Ireland, between Sandinistas and Contras in Nicaragua, between blacks and whites in South Africa. And what we've seen over and over is that when you introduce love and forgiveness and people grasp that they've all been hurt in the same way, that war is the enemy, not each other. We've seen unbelievable reconciliation in situations that where it was thought impossible. So whether it's at the level of um, physical healing of a, somebody with cerebral palsy, whether it's a child who seemingly is, is a baby who seemingly cannot live, whether it's at the level of these international conflicts that seem that go back hundreds of years and are seemingly irresolvable. When you bring love into any of these, anything is possible. Mm-hmm. And it's at the level of the earth as well. You know, you, you asked us a while ago if there are more near-death experiences. Now, I don't know exactly if, you know, if we studied it from year to year what the statistics would be, but, but the question we then ask is, um, why? Why is this happening now? And part of it is an awareness that the whole earth is, it, it, it's all conscious. And it, it, we, it, the more that that message gets out and the more we begin to love the earth rather than exploit it, that's our only way out of the global crisis that we're in right now. Mm-hmm. So I, I... I think that's ahead, been, Dave. too, one, one of the surprises to us in this yeah. whole thing is the near-death uh, people, they, they come back to share and sharing their experiences. There are trees and rivers and mountains and streams mm-hmm. on the other side. It's just like here. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's... You mean like, what, what they experience on the other side yeah. looks like here. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and it's a surprise to me because somehow I thought, you know, the other world was something spiritual as if mountains and trees and horses right. and dogs and cats aren't spiritual. Mm-hmm. But everything that that we have here is just a reflection of the other side. And in caring for the environment, we're, we're really making heaven on earth here. It's like that's, it almost seems like that's what the purpose of our lives are. 
is to remember where we've been, who we are, and to create it here. And we all remember that deep inside of ourselves. We have a memory of that. And I, it gives us a lot of joy mm-hmm. when, we, when we care for the earth or we, we do these things. It gives us joy. It's like we remember who we are. It's obviously a, a profoundly powerful experience. And you talk in your book about shared NDEs where um, people actually, uh, alongside dying people, uh, share in their experiences. How do you think, can you describe some of these incidents and what your interpretation of them is? Sure. I, I think this is one of the reasons that NDEs are being taken more seriously. Before, people thought it was a dying brain that had hallucinations. But I'll give you an example from a nurse that I talked to. I, she came and was, was wondering about this, if the, this workshop would be on NDEs, and I told her yes, and I said, why are you wondering? She says, because as a nurse, I was involved with a, taking care of a patient and her daughter was there, and when she died, we all saw this tunnel of light that went from her through the door, and we saw her soul leave at that same moment that she died. And then she said, and I had three other nurses in the room, and they saw that too. They didn't see her soul leave at that moment, but they saw the tunnel of light. Now, there's, there's five healthy brains there. And they're seeing the same thing. So this this is a reality. And what the experience for all of them was, was this experience of love, of peace. At the same time, it wasn't just watching light. It, they experienced that love that this person was going into. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why this, this is coming up more. More people are seeing it. But the other thing is, like you were just saying, this love is needed more than ever. This May was the, the hottest May on record. This this year has been the hottest on record with the global warming. We have to find some way, like Dennis was talking about, of really caring for our, our world, our environment. And we have to find some way of having a world peace. We have nuclear weapons. We have groups, terrorist groups. Look at Orlando. We have to find a way of becoming one and of finding a bigger love that goes across racial economic, every kind of boundary. And I think that's why so much of this is happening. That's what we're being called to. And people who come back, that's what they're about. They come back with a sense of how they're to make that difference in the world. That's what they've been sent. All of us have been sent to do this. It's often, though, that we don't find out what it is until we're on the other side. And those who come back, they either come back knowing or they have like an inner compass that knows it's about love. And they try different things and see which which is the one that gets me into this this experience where I was with this being of light, where there's so much love that's going forth from that and coming into me and back and forth. And they they find their way bit by bit. So perhaps that's one reason it's, it's happening now. We are in crisis times. And what we need is what the near-death experience is, is giving people. Yes, when you have experiences that are witnessed by other people, uh, like Anita Morjani's uh, near-death experience was witnessed by doctors who flew in from around the world because her case was so well documented. It was kind of a watershed. 
but you you all you had a an, an anecdote about a woman who when she ha- was on the surgery table for ovarian infections actually met with her father on the other side who told her where the location of each mm-hmm. infection was and her sur- and she went and told her surgeon well, you tell it. I, I'm, I think I'm getting it out of order. That one's a little different. It's not a, um, a shared death experience. It's, it's um, someone from the other side helping, right. intervening here. And the, the story you're talking about, her grandfather was a surgeon. Mm-hmm. And um, she's, I believe she was on the operating table. And, well, I, I think she told her surgeon beforehand yeah. where yeah. to look. And That's and right. he said that he would have missed one of them right. if it hadn't been for that mm-hmm. information. And okay. I bring this up in the context of what I think it was Matt who was just saying, that being a, 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 a testament to the, connect, the, the, the importance of consciousness, the connectedness of everything, the responsibility of everything, when you have people understanding that this is real, they will have to change their behavior. Welcome back. We're speaking with Matt, Dennis, and Sheila Lynn about the gifts of near-death experiences. Now, the tagline to your book is, you don't have to die to experience your true home. And this book is not just uh, an ex- uh, recounting a lot of near-death experiences. How do you recommend that people actually use them? What was your goal in writing it? I can tell well, you as, as, did you go ahead, Sheila? As as we were saying um, earlier, what inspired us to write this was Ken Ring's concept of the near death experience as a benign virus, mm-hmm. meaning you can catch it, and you can catch it by immersing yourself or exposing yourself to the experiences of those who actually have had NDEs, um, and. So what we tried to do is uh, give many of these kinds of stories, you've picked up on some of them, give them in, in uh, a way that organize them to parallel the stages of a near-death experience. So, for example, we began with one's experiences of just infinite love, um, it, which is at the beginning of, typically at the beginning of a near-death experience, the sense of being immersed in love, leaving the pain or whatever's going on in your body and being immersed in love. So we begin with that. That's the first stage. That's also how we begin all of our programs. We begin by asking people to get in touch with positive memories, memories of love, because that sets the stage for healing. Mm -hmm. So the first chapter, we recount some of those stories of the beginning of a near-death experience, and then give people a process for getting in touch with their own memories of love while they're in that kind of a, a field of what they've just been reading, of how infinite that love really is. Um, another stage of a near-death experience is um, the life review. 
Oh, I'm I'm so sorry. That's just that's just hang on until it's done. That's uh, fine. Yeah. There. Maybe somebody's trying to contact us from the other side. <laughs> that's a good idea. That would help us because the phone company hasn't been able to clear that up. Yeah. Um, another stage of the near-death experience is the life review. And uh, we have a process. So what we've done, for example, in that chapter is to describe what happens in the life review. And we have a process that we've used for years in every program that we give. That's a, It's a process of reflecting at the end of each day on when, what we were most grateful for during the day, what we're least grateful for during the day. What we realized is that that's like a kind of a daily life review. Mm-hmm. It's each day looking at, well, was, how did I, in what way was I, was I living love, living the love, living the love that I am? And in what way was I not? So it's it's a way of... I think someone is underlining what you're saying. Yeah, right. I hope so. I hope so. It's a way of doing every day. What we realized is we've been, we've been suggesting a process that's like a daily life review. Mm-hmm. Moreover, when you do that process every day, you begin to see a pattern. And that pattern is a, a source of guidance. Uh, in effect, it's a way of tuning in to the purpose of our life. Um, and that, again, is a stage of the near-death experience. So what I'm trying to describe is that we, we laid out the book to parallel the stages of a near-death experience. We tried to give many stories um, that, that exemplify different aspects of it. And then we tried to give people processes, once they're immersed in that energy, to draw out the gift of, of uh a near-death experience and begin to live it in a daily basis and to see it, to tune into it, to watch for it. Mm-hmm. Because all these things are there for us. They're speaking to us all the time. It's just a matter of our attention, of our paying attention. Yeah. You're talking about how that noise is maybe someone trying to contact yeah. us. It reminds me of, of what, what I did. But in 2001, we had all this fear of that there were these cells everywhere and who knows when the next plane would go down and I had like a hundred different flights to take that year. I didn't want to get on any of them. <laughs> so what I did is I started making out my list of those who are on the other side who love me, writing their names down, taking time to go back to the memory of I had of how they loved me here and how that love continues. And it multiplied a million times more as they get into this infinite love and have a 24-7 that they're radiating at. No, no time to, they don't have to sleep or anything. It, it healed my fear of death. That, I think, is one of the qualities that all these people come back with. Probably the most universal one is that they have no fear of death. They know what's on the other side. They're ready for it. And the simple thing of just making out your list of those on the other side who love you and, are, and going experiencing how that is happening right now, that, that can heal that and can take away that fear of death. I think one of the uh, greatest diseases of our civilization is the feeling of despair and aloneness. And just having even a little bit of assurance that there are people on the other side who love you unconditionally 
is probably the most healing takeaway from all of this. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You talk about the power of prayer. Um, how does that fit into all of this? Well, I think we're using it in a, a very universal way because, again, um, you know, there's a website that has collected 4,000 these NDE experiences that come from Muslims, Hindus, Christians, you know. And and here's the thing. All of them report the key is love. And and to us, prayer is any any way that we're in touch with that uh, love within us and that we can communicate it. And you know, we we keep repeating ourselves, but what's so wonderful about this, you discover that all faiths, all religions, all cultures, really, have, have this uh, sense that it's love that counts. And, and that's what, when, when we do our workshops, uh, we have people get in touch with the love that's in their heart. They turn to the person next to them who may want um, some emotional healing, you know, the aloneness you're talking about, some um, issue with forgiveness, or they might want physical healing or whatever. And we just have the people get in touch with that love and, and let it flow out from their heart into the other person. And we have people in our workshops, sometimes they're Christians, we've had Muslims, we've had Hindus, and and it all transforms. The mm-hmm. people are transformed. What transforms is love, and that's the wonderful thing about the near death experiences. How has it changed all, you all personally? Well, I have a band around my wrist right now that that just simply says, uh, "How would I act with love?" You know, mm-hmm. it, it's like a reminder. It's like a reminder to me that that's all that counts. And so the things I worry about, you know, the, the finances or whatever it is, it, it, takes, it all takes second place in life. And, and, you know, my main question becomes, how, how am I going to relate today to my 19-year-old coming through the door or to my wife or, you know, we, have, we just got a puppy. <laughs> but but it's it's all about doing it in the most loving way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you if you if you look at a child, you, you look at a wide-eyed child who hasn't been hurt yet, and what they wished were true, or what you wished were true when you were a child, what you hoped was true, what you hoped the world was. What near-death experiences convey to me is it really is that way. What you hoped was true, what you wished was true, it really is. That's the deepest truth of the universe. And something in us remembers that. Something in us knows that. And for me, it has has helped me. It's helped me. It's helped me to remember. It helps me to remember. So to sum it all up, 
It's remembering who you are, really, and where you came from, and that you're going back. Or possibly, you never left. We're going back to where we came from, and we know that. And we're all one with everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Everything else, even the trees. I got, I was on, this last weekend I was on a 300-mile trip, and I got lost because I got into how the trees were loving me and the grass was loving me. <laughs> Does that <laughs> happen to you a lot? I went I had to go before I realized it. <laughs> so be prepared to get lost oh, more because you gosh. really are finding the real thing. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, it's been such a delight speaking with you, and, and I really can't recommend your book highly enough. Again, it's called... The Gifts of Near-Death Experiences. You don't have to die to experience your true home. It really is truly within our grasp. So um, your website again is lynnministries.org, yeah? Yes. Right. Great. Right. Right. So thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you, Miriam. Wonderful interview. <laughs> Many blessings. And do uh, visit our website, ncreview.com, and do join us next week. In the meantime, have a blessed week. Much love. Goodbye. Goodbye.